Welcome, Coco, to the Wholesome Crypto Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. We all know your work, you know, creating amazing music, creating amazing songs. Uh, it's poetic, it's relevant, and it hits home for all the crypto users. Uh, you definitely offer them as NFTs, so please, if you're watching, get ready to purchase some because you're going to learn about the story of El Coco. And Coco, where were you when you first heard about crypto at all, Bitcoin, Ethereum, anything in the blockchain world? I don't know where I was when I first heard about Bitcoin. That's kind of one of those things that everybody's heard about. Um, but I never understood it and I never went down that rabbit hole. And then COVID happened and I got interested in the stock market like everybody else did. And I remember AMC stock was like down to basically nothing. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. and, I, and I love going to see movies. So I was thinking, well, if, if AMC makes it through this, then this stock's going to like skyrocket. So uh, we put a thousand dollars on AMC, and this was during tax season because I do taxes for a living. Is this before Wall Street bets made the whole? Uh, this was during Wall Street bets. Okay, but I had no idea. Okay, I had no idea what I was getting into. So it was during tax season, so I didn't have time to really follow it. So I just put like a stop loss on it, and I was in the middle of doing a tax return, and I got a notification on my phone, and I looked down, and it's like you made six thousand dollars, and I was like, what? And so <laughs> after that day, I started like digging into like um, what had happened and learning about GameStop and Wall Street bets and all that stuff. And um, so that was just kind of a fluke. And then later, like later that tax season, I was going to get lunch at this cafe and I saw a guy with a GameStop shirt on. Oh, so wow. I was like, well, I got to talk to this guy. So I, I go up and he's with a friend. And so we start talking about GameStop and his friend has a shirt that, that says Ethereum on it. And I'm like, well, what's Ethereum? I've never heard of it in my life. And um, thank goodness he was a crazy crypto person. And he just started like <laughs> going off about how Ethereum is going to change the world in this way and this way. And this was the very beginning of, of 2021, probably February. So, you know, it sounded interesting. And I went back and started researching Ethereum. And, and that was basically the end of my social life. Um, I, have, <laughs> I have not or the beginning for... of a new social life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's the beginning of a digital social life. But I, I have not come up for breath since since then and um, fallen hard. And I just I love crypto. Everything about it is fascinating to me. So now is your family and friends looking at you as a crazy crypto guy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I was the I became the crazy crypto guy for a while, for at least a year where every conversation came back to crypto. And I finally learned, like, people don't want to hear about this stuff. So <laughs> it's hard. I, yeah. So I don't really talk about it anymore. Uh, <laughs> it's because uh, like whenever I meet new people and I tell them what I do, like oh, I do some podcasting and like do some work in crypto and I kind of wait for their reaction and see if they're interested or not. Then I'll go into it. Otherwise, I'm just mm -hmm. like, what do you do? What's, what's your life like? I don't I don't need to explain my life. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I do get a lot of opportunities to have that piece of a conversation with people because of doing taxes. In the U.S. on your tax return, you have to write whether or not you've done anything with crypto. So mm -hmm. I, I get to ask that to every single person that, that I interact with, which is cool. And then I can see, you know, if they've done anything with it or if they're interested at all or make a comment, then it's like, ooh, I've got an in. I can talk to this person <laughs> about crypto. <laughs> I've got my Ethereum like full node behind me in, in the office. I'm like, yeah, this is my Ethereum node, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is what my life is about. And yeah. then 
you're working in the tax industry. You're heavily integrated with crypto, especially in the U.S., because it's all still up for regulation, I guess. I mean, it's kind of clearish of what we have to do as of now, but yeah, it's quickly changing and evolving. And a lot of your music seems to come from like bashing on some regulators or Gary Gensler and like Elizabeth Warren. And then from your inspiration, are you like writing down things as you see it, as if it's going to be a good fit for the next hit? Or is it just one day you're going to straight ADHD mode, hyper-focus and nail it all out? Yeah, that's, I don't write things down and I should. And I, I think about that here and there, um, especially when I'm, when I'm starting to write a song, I'm like, oh man, if I had, you know, ideas already written out, it'd be nice, but I don't. Um, I really just, um, as far as the, the content, um, I'll get like a hankering for writing a song about a certain topic and then just sit down and, and write it. You know, typically I'll just get like the bug and I'll be hyper-focused for a couple of days on lyrics and, I'll write out usually like two to three times as many verses as end up in the song. And then I, nice. I spend a lot of time paring it down because usually the songs end up way too long. Like nobody it's, really wants to hear a six minute, seven minute song. So tell that's a queen, right? Tell, uh, yeah. Yeah. I'll listen to, I'll listen to a 10 minute queen song for sure. <laughs> but that's like the famous quote from like, I think Abraham Lincoln, you know, he has a speech, but was apologizing that he couldn't make it shorter it takes a lot more time to make it shorter and concise to exactly what it needs to be rather than just blurting out something for six, seven minutes. Yeah. It's like, um, I had a music composition teacher once that said, when you look at it, when you see a good movie, um, she really liked, um, no, I'm blanking. What's, uh, what's the guy that did, did the birds and, and all those movies? Um, the English guy. Anyway. Um, I remember. You know what I'm talking about, but I'm just blanking on his name. But anyway, uh, she she would always say the true like unsung heroes are the editors of the movies, mm. you know, because they're the ones that keep you engaged and make sure that scenes don't go too long and and uh, and that kind of thing. So, so there's yeah. a lot of truth to that, I think. That's true because, I mean, I love long form podcasts because that's what we do. And it gives a different depth and meaning. But yeah, I mean, our world is full of... as perfectly edited short clips as possible just to get you yeah. right in that engagement and then on to the next. Yeah. We've kind of gone out off the deep end on the wrong end of that. I think these days. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. So you were talking about your music composition teacher. When did you start uh, learning how to play music and what instruments? I learned um, starting at the age of five, maybe four. Um, my grandmother played piano and violin and my mom and my other grandmother, but, um, but this particular grandmother had a lot of grandkids. I don't even know how many at this point, I think like 18 oh, or something wow. like that. She taught all of us, um, music. She taught all the boys piano and all the girls piano and violin. I don't mm -hmm. know why she maybe thought violin <laughs> was like more feminine or something <laughs> I don't agree with that at all but anyway that that was her decision I hated it just like everybody that's a kid that's forced to play an instrument um but I remember at age at a fifth grade she she allowed me to quit and and I was like all right I'm gonna quit then and then 
she came to me a few days later and she was like, I, I think you should stick with it because I think you've got like some real talent. If I let you play whatever you want to play, continue. And I said, yeah, okay, I'll do that. And so she let me pick my next piece, which was, can you feel the love tonight from the Lion King? <laughs> and, <laughs> so I learned that and, and I found like the joy of playing piano, just playing something that I love that I could sing along with that other people enjoyed hearing me play. And then the next song that she asked me to pick was um, this piece, Fantasy Impromptu by Chopin, which was the, the piece that my mother was learning um, how, to, how to play for her master's degree in music, which oh, she wow. never ended up getting, um, I think, because she had my brother. But um, anyway, it was a very flashy piece, um, romantic piece, and I learned that and, um, in fifth grade. And just kind of like fell in love with the piano even harder. And I never kind of looked back after that. That's amazing. Um, I, I feel like I had some piano lessons as a kid and then I just went into hating it and I never went back. I should have went back now as an adult. I'm like, damn, I wish I knew how to play piano or guitar. Like I'm practicing guitar now. Like I'm learning something, but like at your level, it's, you can, it shows how much fun you can have with it, especially if you know how to compose. And I'll, and I'll also learn more about like understanding the level of, you know, playing music that already exists versus knowing how to compose new music. Yeah. Yeah. That, that um, was, I guess, a big difference between those two things in my life, at least. I ended up going off to school for piano in the 10th grade. There's uh, in North Carolina, there's a school called the North Carolina School of the Arts, which is a university for fine arts. But they also have two dorms that house high school students. And so um, you can go there as a high schooler and they have a program where you can get your degree. But then in your arts classes, you're with the, the college students and it's super intense. And I remember like some days I would practice 12 hours in a, in a day. Oh, wow. And I, I, um, I learned so much. Um, about music and about myself. And I also burned myself out. I decided if I was going to pursue music for the rest of my life, then I, I didn't want to be playing just other people's music, you know, cause I looked around at all these classical pianists that, that dedicate their life to this and they sp spend so much time practicing and not that many people really care, you know? Yeah. I, I thought that was um, sad in a way because these people need need more recognition than they get because what they do is phenomenal. But um, it's like, I wanted to write my own music. So I started writing and I started taking composition classes. And then I ended up going to college for music composition. And I got a degree in that in finance. I did it the wrong way. And this is a lesson that I, I can't wait to impart to my son when he gets to be old enough. But like, you can share with the world now too. Yeah. So I decided I would just go through the program and learn what they had to teach me, come out the other end with all these tools. And then I could like do whatever I wanted to and write music the way that I wanted to write music. And so I learned about classical music and more like, um, you know, modern type of like cage type stuff. And, and it was all interesting, but it was always a grind. I never mm -hmm. really enjoyed writing music. And what I should have done was found something that I wanted to write while I was in school and taking that to my professors and said, this is what I'm passionate about. Can you help me learn how to do this better? Instead of just trying to be like a, a blob of clay for them to mold the way that they wanted to. So after I graduated, I, I kind of um, 
I decided not to go into music. And I think that was a big part of it, part of why. And now, like, this is the first time that I've ever, and I, I've still played music since then. I love playing music any chance I get. And mm. I've written music, but this, this is the first time I've ever written music that people actually like resonate with because, you know, there aren't that many crypto music uh, composers. There's like, you know, Jonathan Mann and, and me. And then there are a few other people that do like kind of one-offs here and there, but just being able to write this music and have people respond to it and appreciate it is amazing. You know? Yeah. It, it, and it's just entertaining as hell too, because I mean, I've listened to your songs and I'm just like, yeah, this guy gets it. He gets what's going on <laughs> in crypto. Like, and you're putting it in such a beautiful way too, because you also get people in the crypto industry who create art and you use that art to edit it with your music and create a, a beautiful visual and lyrics that resonate, you know, like you said, with, with us as a community. I can, and also with like being someone who's in the crypto space, but before learning about crypto, did you have a passion, uh, I guess, industry that you wanted to write about or was it just personal? No, it was just kind of just personal as far as music goes. Like I, mm -hmm. I jump into whatever I do in life fully. That might be a, a repercussion of like going to the school of the arts. <laughs> I'm focused so intensely, but like ever since then, I've kind of been that kind of person. But um, I've never really combined it with music. So this is the first time that I've I've found something that I'm really passionate about that I'm also writing music about. Yeah. And I think you're starting to also pick up on the frequency of songs you're making. I feel like there was some uh, closer gaps of releases. Are you finding yourself in a better groove now as you're releasing songs and seeing traction? No, no. <laughs> it's so hard to find the time. If I had the time to write music all the, all the time, I would. I would write so much more. I've got two kids. I've got a full-time job at the tax office, which is actually more than full-time, especially yeah. in tax season. And I'm like a crypto fanatic, which is like a full-time job in and of itself. Yep. Just keeping up to date and like learning about that stuff. So I write when I can. And um, I tend to put more songs out when it's not tax season. So tax season starts up in January. So I'll be radio silent for four months, pretty much. Mm -hmm. um, that's that's kind of how it goes. I do have another song that I'm pretty much done with. Oh, um, nice. That I'm, I don't want to call anybody's name out, but yeah, I've got a, a an awesome NFT artist that's I think going to work on it with me. Do you do the video editing yourself too? Yeah. Yeah. Jack of all trades. Yeah, I'm <laughs> I'm learning. Yeah, for first cyclers, I wrote the song and I was um actually I think it was probably because of Jonathan, like the way he always puts videos with his music. I was like, I should have something to go along with this. So it's not just like um just audio. And I just sat down one night and I was like, memes would go great with like all of these lyrics, you know. So I just I spent I that took a lot of time coming up with all those memes. And that was like, you know, everybody loved it. So after that, I was like, well, I guess I got to do, you know, video for all the songs. And then for the bear song, I, you know, I love Perchy and I love like, like I've got a chippy and I've got like multiple of the bankless locations. And I know he's like always seemed to be a really nice guy. I didn't really have a relationship with him, but I was like, um, he would be perfect for this song. And so I might as well just ask him. I had no, um, real hope that he was going to say yes. 
and I wrote him and I told him that when I when I DM'd him. I was like, you're probably gonna say no. So like don't worry about hurting my feelings, but I just want to ask you, like, would you like to collab on this song with me? And he was like, I would love to. I love your music and let's do it. And oh yeah. Uh, that that was an amazing moment. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you just don't know until you ask. I think that's a popular uh advice to give is just ask. Ask yep. people like, would you help me? And it can go a long way because, you know, when I was starting my podcast too, I'm like, no one's going to want to go on my podcast with, you know, when I'm starting out with you know, no viewers, nothing, not even a single episode out, but it builds and you get that one person that can help you build credibility and it just keeps growing after that. And now it's now it's just like, okay, now anybody wants to come on my podcast, not anybody, but like, I want to have like as many people on my podcast to like give them a voice and them a platform. Especially yeah, you got, you know, it's, no, it's like especially people in like crypto where it's usually all about investment advice and about the heavy hitters who have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers and just kind of shill different bags and don't remember to talk about the humans of crypto. And it's nice to have a ability to finally get people who are that I love that I follow, such as yourself, that who are the essence of what I think is our ethos and give them a voice and give you a chance to say your story because you deserve the thousands and thousands of followers, not the people that I think who are just shilling bags and trying to make a buck off <laughs> people. Appreciate it. Yeah. And you've had some heavy hitters on your show for sure. Like I remember I learned about Paul Brody because of you. Oh, and thank uh, you. my He's wife awesome. actually worked. Yeah. My wife works for one of the big four. And I listened to that episode of yours and I was like, I was like, babe, like EY is doing all this stuff. Like this guy, Paul Brody, you know, you know, and, um, and then like uh, a month or two later, I saw him on Bankless and I was like, man, Paulson had him on there first. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> That's all right. I, 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 like love, to think my, I love Bankless, but yeah. <laughs> I like to think my podcast helps people on the up and up. So like mm -hmm. once you got the wholesome crypto, that's when you just shoot up. So I hope, <laughs> yeah. I hope this happens to you. I hope you're on my show. And then next month I see you on Bankless. I'm like, that's Coco. Oh, he deserves man. it. He's I'm got not it. ready for Bankless. <laughs> <laughs> They're not ready for you. <laughs> um, now, man, speaking of Bankless, like that, they really gave me my leg up. Like, I'm so grateful to those guys. Um, when when I did First Cyclers, um, some of my friends heard it and, um, and and they were just like, man, this is amazing. Like, people need to hear this. Like, the, like David needs to hear this from Bangladesh, you know. So one of my friends, like, DM'd him and showed him. And I remember David was like, um, this is maybe the greatest piece of crypto content I've ever seen. Like, this is going to be on the roll-up on Friday. And like, that, like, that moment was like what I can imagine. You know, the, the first time a, a musician gets their song played on a radio and like, like <laughs> oh man, I made it. You know, like, like, um, I think the songs that I do from here on out could, could like get a lot bigger, but like that one moment, like David gave me that moment of, oh, of yeah. adrenaline of like, man, like people actually dig this stuff and, and people are going to hear this. And that was just a cool moment. I love that. And yeah. that's such a, that's an incredible like journey too, because I'm sure you're posting these out with not much expectation on it. Then you just want to do it for yourself and hope it gets somewhere. Then it does get somewhere and you're like, 
just full of excitement. <laughs> That's such a good yeah. feeling. And I'm, I'm still like surprised. Like I'm starting to become less surprised as I gain confidence. But I guess I can talk about the first song that I ever did. Please. Which was, it was a song that I wrote for a, a competition that Colony was having. Colony, the, the Dow tooling platform. Okay. Yeah, when they released their token, they, they basically did an ICO instead of an airdrop. They were trying to drum up um, excitement for the project. And so they had all these competitions. And I kind of sibled the, some of the competitions. I won multiple of them with different. I didn't know if I was supposed to like enter multiple competitions as the same person. But one of them was write a song about crypto. So I wrote a song about, I mean, about DAOs, you know. So I wrote a song about DAOs and it took me about two days because I just like that bug that I was telling you about. Yeah. I just like really started enjoying the process. And I won the competition, which was not surprising just due to the fact that I, I figured nobody else would put the amount of effort in it that I, that I put into it. But everybody seemed to like it. There, then there's this guy, um, this guy, Will, who was one of the core members of Colony. Um, came up with this idea of having a uh, record label DAO um, and he called it DAO Beat. And the idea was to bring together musicians that wanted to collaborate remotely. <clears throat> maybe one person has an idea and they write a guitar line and maybe like um, a vocal track. And then another musician can jump on and do like the drum track or whatever. You know, that was kind of the idea. And um, he he encouraged me to come on and like write a song for it. And that's when I wrote for cyclers <clears throat> and it, it seemed to go over really well. But even then, like I was, I just thought people were humoring me. Like, you know, like this song's really great or whatever, you know, and, until I had that, until they played it on Bankless. And then I was like, oh, wow, you know, people do like it. But even, even then, like the next song I wrote, I think every time I write a song, I'm like this is, this song's going to suck. <laughs> but <laughs> that probably forces me to put more work into it than I otherwise would. Uh, but so far, yeah. Yeah, you're your, you're your own harshest critic, right? Like as most artists. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not easy being a creative because you have a vision and you want to be the vision. And you, I feel like it's hard to perfectly achieve it, but you have to publish something. You have to show out something. Yeah, it's so hard. Every time I listen to one of my songs, like all I hear are the, the, the parts that I think are not perfect. Cause I don't have a recording studio, you know, I've, I've got my microphone in my den and I'm not a, a, an audio engineer. And so like, I do the best I can with adjusting levels, but you know, there's, I, I think that's the awesome part of your work though. It's, it's the, it's how genuine and like real and it's playing on like the open sourceness of crypto. Like you're just a person doing this thing that you love and, it's genuine and the community will collaborate on it and bring it to life. Not so much that you have a multi-million dollar studio with a perfect soundproof area that has a nice microphone and it's all like bells and whistles to just make some song. Like Jonathan Mann does his in his like room also and the green yeah, screen. He's awesome. <laughs> yeah, but he, he, that's the thing. His the work is awesome. Your work is awesome. That's what we recognize. It's not so much the quality. Like my episodes on my podcast, I'm like listening to my own voice. I'm like, ah, Rudy, you sound terrible. What are you saying? Stop, <laughs> stop talking like that. So it's it's easy to critique oneself, but most of the time, most people don't notice these things, and they just really appreciate 
the actual content lyrics and love that goes into it that shows yeah well good well i appreciate that yeah and uh, and i'm getting better every song too i'm learning new techniques and i'm buying other equipment um you know they say whenever you put money into crypto you never pull it back out it's like a one-way door yeah and that's been the case for me other than an airdrop i got from um maverick the decks mm-hmm. um I use that money to buy a keyboard. So I no longer have to like mic my piano, which which is worse sound quality. Okay. So I did take money from that. And I felt so bad about it. I, I try to keep 50% of like every airdrop that I get at least um, as a thank you to the team for like giving me free money. So I'm not dumping my bags on everybody. <laughs> but, but that one I sold and I like apologized <laughs> on Twitter and I tagged them and nobody responded. They probably hate my guts. <laughs> <laughs> the asshole like sold his bags so i was like i'm doing it for crypto i'm, I'm doing, doing it, right it for the greater music. good <laughs> yeah um so being in the crypto space for a while now i guess what is your crypto pet peeve the one that comes to mind is probably the one that everybody feels it's just like people that are that want to show their bags and do so in a closed-minded way when you're new to crypto like it's, there's so much noise. It's so hard to figure out where the signal is and like yeah. who, who's serious and who is a charlatan. And it's just like, it's so rampant. It drives me crazy. And it took a long time to figure out like where the signal was and how to find it. And one way that I actually like started making headway was, you know, you, you would see all of these debates online and I would always think to myself, like, who seems like the smarter person? in this debate <laughs> and it, it, seemed to always, it seemed to always be the ethereum people that had like well thought out arguments and were were willing to engage in different points and that served me well and and um so i guess i'm probably like a full-on ethereum ethereum at this point uh, so but funny. i still try to stay open-minded um like truly you know because um, i think that's very important for for newcomers as well as as us you know? Yeah. And it's funny how you mentioned that because a couple of years ago, I think uh, me and my wife were traveling to Guatemala and I, I noticed uh, some guy in, involved in crypto. And I was like, I'm going to talk to that guy. And I started speaking with him. I mean, he was uh, he's a Bitcoiner, big time. Mm-hmm. And I'm not against Bitcoin. I, I think it has its place and I'm excited for people like Udi and Eric Wall and Ordinal's team and Taproot Wizards like doing their thing. I'm yeah. all for that. But this person that I was speaking with was a maxi. And when we were going back and forth about the, just using the word crypto was bad. Like it's like Bitcoin and <laughs> shit coins. That's all it was. <laughs> yeah. And it was like a religious belief for him. And I was like introducing my wife into crypto that time to Bitcoin and Ethereum. She's like learning about it. So she's asking questions too. And you can tell he was like getting heated for like not understanding the the beautiful value of Bitcoin. And I'm like, all right. She is like confused on why he was so upset about things. And I'm like, well, you just met a Bitcoin maxi. This is, (laughs) this is what they're like. And then, and then we went to, yeah. And then we went to ETH Denver together like two years ago. And then all the Ethereum community is like, colorful happy like welcoming ready to engage in conversation happy to talk about bitcoin happy to talk about ethereum happy to talk about whatever currency 
And I'm like, this is what the Ethereum community looks like. And she's like, wow, I like Ethereum much better. And I'm like, yeah, because they're willing to help and engage and learn. And the Bitcoin maxis were just kind of either you get it, you're on their side or you're not. Um, yeah. But I'm feeling a little bit like the Ethereum community is becoming either like divided or slightly more aggressive nowadays. Yeah. And yeah, I don't understand why. It's Solana. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it is, in, in my opinion. Are they incepting the Ethereum community to talk shit about or turn to change our behavior? Is Solana changing our behavior? <laughs> yeah. I think you know, maybe for some people, but I think Ethereum is still going about it the right way. I think Solana people view Ethereum people as being very as being the new Bitcoin maxis, you mm -hmm. know, that are very close minded when like clearly like Solana, there's all these benefits in, in Solana. And I think probably there are a lot of people in Ethereum that don't look into Solana and don't understand what the benefits are. Um, but there are a lot of people in Ethereum that do. And I think where the Solana like maxis go wrong is they, they pit Solana against Ethereum. And they say like, you know, in, in, in the Ethereum ecosystem, everything's fragmented. Um, whereas in Solana, like it, it's all like, you know, more or less atomic composability. But I think that's the wrong comparison. I think you, I think you compare the chain that people are gonna use, which is an L2 versus Solana. Like in theory of Validium can scale infinitely. So, I mean, you can have as much scale in, in a Validium as you do in Solana. And the fact that it, settles to ethereum i would say is like a positive and not a negative because you get settlement assurances and you get like more interoperability with the other l2s than you do if you're solana i think uh, some of the ideas that solana has are cool mm -hmm. and i think that solana is probably going to pump its ass off and i've got a little bit of solana of, of soul but i didn't buy a lot and i thought long and hard about this because i was like solana is probably going to pump um like hell and I'm probably going to deal with a little bit of cope. And, <laughs> and I think I'm okay with that because I think L2s have uh, a better outlook than, than Solana. And that's where I'm going to place my bets. And some of my friends are already like, you know, celebrating because their, their soul bags are mooning. And I'm like, I'm, I'm happy for them, you know, and I support it. And yeah, I'm supportive of, of, of Solana for sure. I just don't think, I don't think it's going to end up being the settlement later of the world, but I think it, it could have its own place for sure. Yeah, it's funny when Bankless talks about Solana, they get a lot of hate because they're supposed to be Ethereum, Ethereans. And I'm like, well, yeah. they're just a crypto podcast who's supposed to talk about crypto as a whole in general. Yeah, yeah they might love Ethereum or Ethereum is their number one choice, but it's weird. it's weird to me to think that they're not allowed to talk about other things just because supposed to be a ethereum or something it would be a bad decision for them to you know refuse to talk about solana in any kind of like positive light because that would be a telltale sign that they've got blinders on you know exactly okay so as so we'll go back to more about you and your growth in crypto and writing music creating nfts if this could I guess what's it going to take for you to say, I want to do this full time. This is my <laughs> life. 
it's unfortunately is probably not gonna uh okay there is a way <laughs> um there's always a way i bartending was my career after college and i was super passionate about that i did that for 15 years managed bars open bars you know that was the rabbit hole that i jumped down to for a large portion of my life um but i always knew that um i was going to end up at the tax office because it's a family business and i, I pushed it off for a long time because it's like they, they needed me they needed help but I, um i was like this um bar career is is too exciting and i want to see where it takes me you know for now but finally wife and I decided to have kids and one of us had to quit um, their job. And she had like in the service industry, she has what's known as like a real job. So I quit my job and I was like, all right, it's time to go to the tax office. And so I started doing that five. I've done it for five tax seasons now. So this would be my sixth coming up. I love it too. And I loved accounting classes in school, which makes me kind of weird, I guess, but I'm going to be taking over the tax office eventually. You know, it's like my, wife's grandmother started over 50 years ago so it's like the legacy oh, wow. so i'll be doing that um for sure um alongside crypto and and i can dovetail that with crypto as well i'm in a DAO called eli5 DAO, which tests DAO tooling and reviews it and kind of teaches people you know about it and so i'm going to be doing their taxes this coming up year nice. as a non-profit DAO. so i'm learning a lot doing that and and I do you know different people's taxes that are in in crypto. Those are my favorite tax returns to do. I was just um, gonna ask that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love it. So I don't think I could ever do anything else full time because of that, unless AI takes uh, my job away from me. And then, <laughs> which you got time? Which I can see happening eventually. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think AI is focused on different problems because accounting is so damn gray that I've realized, especially in if you're a business owner and if you're in crypto and if you have any assets or you're just like, if you have anything more than a standard W2, it's just like, I don't, what are these rules? Like, how do I place them properly? Because you can go about so many different paths on your taxes and it's so freaking gray. Yeah, but you see like the way that you frame that shows that it's already happening. Not necessarily with AI, but with technology. because. Mm -hmm. 20 years ago, if you had a W-2, you needed to get your taxes done. But now you have mm. TurboTax. So like technologies... They're, the already, they're not good. No, they're, they're not good. But, <laughs> but if you have a simple return, then they're fine. Yeah. And yeah. so they're already taking away a lot of the simple returns. So like each year, the returns that we do get a little bit more complicated. I think AI is going to accelerate that process where um, we eventually get to a point where like people come to tax preparers for the gray stuff which is like way more challenging than the straightforward stuff, <laughs> which is fun. But it's like, you need the easy ones too. They're like, they're like candy in between the, the, the courses. Yeah. They're the butter <laughs> on the bread, right? Just like, exactly. <laughs> we need all of it. We need the intellectually stimulating returns. And we need the easy candy. <laughs> I mean, that's good that, that you have, it's, it's nice that you can combine your two passions together because yeah, you're, for taxes, you're going to need a, a crypto accountant for mm -hmm. a foreseeable future, I think. Like maybe AI will take over, but I think you'll be able to find a way to make it work in your best interest anyways, because working with AI can help you rather than just fighting it. Yeah, man. Crypto taxes, are talking about gray areas, like there's so little guidance. 
Yeah. It's like if, if you get an airdrop, like how do you how do you um value it? You know, if I don't someone, know. There, there's there are no sales already on the market. There's no predetermined price like there is with an IPO. So it's like, was it worth zero when you got it? Maybe. Was you know, was it worth the the amount that you that it was when you claimed it? Probably not, but maybe. Was it should you take the average of the the cost for the day or like you know if if you get an airdrop and there's no liquidity but like <clears throat> the first trade is like a dollar a token mm-hmm. but there's like zero liquidity so all of a sudden your airdrop's worth ten million dollars but there's no way you can sell it for that. And do you claim it as like income? Is it your income or is it like a capital? Yeah. I don't. Even, I don't even know. Like, I have to. Yeah, always work with an accountant to like figure out. Like, well, I got an airdrop today, and I, I guess it's zero because I'm not selling it, and I don't want to ever sell it. I just, I just got it, but I don't want to do anything with it. So, what do I do? Yeah, it's it's probably income, but like maybe not because you paid gas money to claim it. So maybe the gas money is your <laughs> basis. Like, who knows? <laughs> it's so silly, and it's just like it just shows how easily uh broken the tax system tax system is and it's so stupid (laughs) i think it's like almost intentional like oh let's make a weird system that's complicated so it creates a whole industry around it yeah like i'll I'll give you an example last year we were i was uh taking a class to brush up on like state tax laws they were like um there are three state three major changes in the tax uh, code for the state and one of them had to do with if you owned a farm that was also a zoo, had to be both. Um, so then there was that one. And then the third one was if, all right, this only pertains to companies that sell conveyor belts to all 50 states and do at least $10 million in revenue per year. Like, obviously, this is just for one company, you know? Yeah. And so so when, you, when you have, like, special interests – you know, getting laws passed for their benefit or like individual companies. And all of a sudden you, you the tax code becomes 5 million pages long. It's stupid. And so, yeah, it's like all these companies get special write-offs and you would, you wouldn't know. No one teaches, this is, like, you don't learn about this that in school for the general public, mm-hmm. a specialized profession that also has to have an in with the industries and also has to know the right people. And then you figure it out because there's so much I learned through experience and not much through school, sadly. Yeah, 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 yeah it's true. For now, since you're so heavily involved in crypto, heavily involved in accounting, you have a family and music, what do you do for mental health? How do you keep yourself in check and balance <laughs> and going in a positive fashion uh i i don't think i have an answer to that <laughs> eventually i'm gonna crash there, there was a, a there were a couple of months this year where i kind of had to unplug um, but that's the first time that's ever happened um but it only lasted for a couple of months and then i was like back on the horse but i i don't have enough time to even like get enough sleep even like i'm, I'm probably doing damage to my body <laughs> right now but the only time I really have to spend on, on crypto is after everybody's asleep. So whether that's gotcha. like writing a song or like airdrop hunting or like learning about like, um, you know, the beacon chain or 
or whatever. Like my my free time is late at night. So uh, kids get you up early in the morning. Yeah, my, my, my <laughs> kids in kindergarten, and he has to be at school by seven thirty a.m. That's when the tardy bell rings. That's ridiculous. That's too early yeah. for kids. Yeah, it's not easy for him. Mm-hmm. How do they? That's another problem. Like the like AI is going to solve teaching. Like they're going to teach our kids for us. Yeah, at their think, pace. Yeah, yeah. I think crypto can could help solve the university problem as well. <laughs> crypto can solve everything. This is, crypto can solve this is, everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are we the problem? Maybe we're just crazy. I don't know. But. I, I actually wrote like a light paper for that for like um, a, a new type of college enabled by um, you know Dow tooling. I did that for a, a competition. <laughs> and, uh, that that's pretty interesting. Uh, is that public? Probably somewhere. Yeah, it's if you go to my Twitter page, then um, there's like some there's a link that says some ideas, and there are a couple of there's a DAO that I um, started the the white papers in there that never ended up like taking off. <laughs> it did for a little bit. It was it was a DAO that uh, with the purpose of pulling together resources from people that were interested in um, buying land somewhere in the world and creating an intentional community mm. that some people would live on and other people could visit and then creating a network of these. Yeah. Um, that was my first attempt at starting a DAO and it actually did get some traction for a little while. And we had a core group of people that worked on it for about a year. And then we ended up having to just kind of step away because none of us had enough time in our life to community build. And like that takes a lot of time. I, I didn't expect that, you know? Yeah. It's not easy building community. Uh, as someone who has to build is trying to build their community. It's just a lot of effort, a lot of time. And I mean, that's, what's so great about the network state with Balaji. Like he's, Mm -hmm. I think pushing that agenda. And now I went to the conference in Amsterdam recently and there's so many new, uh, companies and DAOs or like people who are just trying to build communities all over the world or having some type of crypto community in like a remote island and building their own network state. So it's really awesome to see. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm really hopeful for that future. Oh, yeah, me too. Because yeah, we need that. That's, that's really fascinating to me as well. But, but community building, it takes so much time whether or not you have a community. Like if you don't have one, then it takes a lot of time to build it. But if you do have people interested in your ideas, then you, you have to like make sure that you stay engaged, that Mm -hmm. they stay engaged and everybody um, is able to like come together and, and focus on that North star. Otherwise it descends into chaos, which is what happened in the very beginning of intentional Dow. We had a lot of people join the discord. Everybody had ideas. Nobody could even decide what chain to, to build on, you know? And so it was like, all right, we need to step back and uh, solidify some of these ideas so that when we bring this to the public again, we can say, all right, here's how we're thinking it'll work. Let's debate each point mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just having everybody just spray this like fire hose of ideas in your face. By that point, the bear market had set in and um, it was hard to get people back in the discord. And, so, yeah, yeah that's, that's a tough part too about like, new projects is sometimes you need like 
a high level decision decision maker who's going to say this is how it's going to work for now and we'll break it down break out these points later on because if everyone's trying to work together make a decision it's just way too noisy mm-hmm. and i think it's done yeah exactly for my last question i want to know what is your most favorite wholesome crypto moment something in your life that's happened in the crypto world that's happy and exciting and wholesome the thing that comes to mind goes back to that DAO that I was just talking about, intentional DAO. Yeah, there there was this guy. Um, there's not one particular thing, just kind of like a um, an overall vibe that I was able to live in for a while. This this uh, other core member um, goes by Frio. A shout out to Frio. Um, he's like my community uh, building spirit guide. Um, <laughs> first of all, we we had this. Um, like motto of no obligations. And I think that's one superpower of DAOs. You know, I guess it could be a double-edged sword. If nobody feels like they're obligated to do anything, then maybe nothing happens. But, but I love this idea that, you know, with a DAO, you can contribute when you want and how you want. And if it's valuable, then you'll get uh, rewarded for it. And if it's not, then you know, thanks anyway. Um, you can still engage and, and meet people or whatever. Um, so, so, so always, appreciated that um but then just this this idea of how to start a DAO um like you can come at it from two two different angles one was one is like you have an idea and you bring people on um you you try to surround yourself with people that share the same idea and the same passion and that can make this thing happen another way is to have a group of friends that already vibe together mm-hmm. and just spend a lot of time together and you know that you want to do something together, but you're not necessarily sure what it is. And so there are these different tricks you can do, different ways you can structure meetings in order to, you know, further align um, each other with one another and also tease out ideas that end up solidifying themselves into like the idea that the DAO wants to become. You know, it's like the true, in, in, in my um, opinion, the true ground up, like grassroots way to start a DAO, which is, um, I think what is a good thing to strive for. Um, so just going through that experience was fantastic. And it's something that I'd like to, um, recreate in a couple of other DAOs that I'm part of. Um, I, there's a Charlotte DAO that I started, um, with this other guy when the merge was, was happening, I had no in real life crypto friends at all. And I was like, this is something we need to celebrate, you know? I'm sure there are people in the area. I live in the Charlotte area. There's got to be people. There's got to be somebody. Yeah. yeah, about this is me. And so I reached out in like the Daily Gway Discord and like all the different discords that I'm active in. And we we got a group together. And now we have like Charlotte Dow. Everybody's like, we need we, we should Dow actually like coordinate and like do things and be active in politics and, and stuff like that. Nobody has the time so far. <laughs> so, so, but you know, we, we still have our Discord and we still get together every couple of months and drink and talk about crypto and it's great, but it's, it's kind of like a slow motion version of that where we're meeting each other and becoming friends. And eventually we want to decide, you know, how to take the next step. Like we have a treasury now we've got a Dow on colony. Um, we've nice. got a lot of infrastructure in place. It's just about the time. Um, I, I love, I love DAOs. Yeah. I think Dow, I think there's going to be a major small to medium Dow revolution eventually um and i'm here for it 
<laughs> do you, I, I'm so surprised and like you have no time, but yet you do so much. And it's like, I'm like, I feel like you have more hours in, in the day than I do. I'm like, do you, drink, <laughs> do you drink a lot of coffee, which just compresses your time? Like it's, no coffee. No coffee. coffee. No. Oh, I drink man. green tea. I can't handle caffeine that well. Green tea is pretty strong. Can be. Yeah. yeah. There's more stuff that we could talk about. There's one thing that I know we need to wrap it up, but just to like put this idea out there. So I'm looking for people to help um, maybe latch onto this idea. Um, you have time for one quick little story? No, yeah, give me, plug it in. Okay. So there was this guy that I was posting something about something. I think it was about Dow's on Twitter. And this guy responded to me with a DM saying, hey, I've got an idea. I was wondering if you could like maybe help me with. And his his idea was, is there a way to invest in people the way that we invest in companies? And can would will crypto allow for this? And the reason he was asking was because, um, you know, I don't want to dox him too much, but he is a fascinating, like, engineer, like, um, I guess I can go ahead and say, like, ex-military intelligence kind of guy that, that has been all over the world in all these different conflicts. When the Ukraine war broke out, he, like, took the first flight over there oh, wow. and went right into the, to the, you know, hot zone just to try to help out any way he can, any way he could. And met a lot of farmers over there and a lot of um, government contacts and um, business people. And he's like, these farmers need help and they don't have access to any kind of like funding. And the country needs food from these guys. Like, it's very important we get money into the hands of these people. Every, every, like he approached the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation and all these other foundations. It's like, everything takes too long. I've noticed that things happen fast in crypto and I love the decentralized nature of it because um, he's got his whole like, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that. But um, it ended up as a collaboration and we wrote this like pretty in-depth white paper that I spent quite a lot of time on um, detailing a way to offer uncollateralized loans to farmers in Ukraine that could easily be ported to other um, crisis areas in the world and other areas where people don't have access to banking. And, you know, I tried to get Ave on board because um, it, it has a little bit to do with like social networking. Um, they've got lens over there and they're like, you know, but crickets from them. Um, Rossify is an uncollateralized lending platform and they actually were interested. In, and I talked to their founder and he was like, I think we're going to run with this. That's a really interesting idea. So that was like fantastic, but then I never heard anything back from them. Mm. So it's still like on the shelf. It's still something um, that I would love to see like happen for the sake of the world. And I don't, I don't need to be involved in it at all. Yeah. If anybody out there thinks that this is interesting and wants to like meet, meet my now friend and, and read the white paper, then like, please get in touch. Please tell everyone where can they get in touch with you? What's the best way? Uh, Twitter probably. So I'm Coco the Corn Cob on Twitter. <laughs> Get that hand, they'll find it. Yeah. It's <laughs> we got another story about how that happened, but <laughs> maybe for a separate interview. I don't know. It's uh it's just kind of a fast story I can tell you. <laughs> Do it. Share it. Oh. The crowd's dying to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Coco was is a name that was given to me when I worked at a Mexican taqueria for seven years. There was this guy from Oaxaca 
that every single day, every, every single time he saw me, it was just like a thousand times a day. He was like, do it as a cocodrilo. <laughs> so, like, so people started calling me a cocodrilo um, or Coco for short. And it just kind of stuck down there. So in, in New Orleans, which is where I was when I was bartending, people down there still call me Coco. And uh, my Twitter handle was ongoing study for a long time. And I, um, for my PFP early on in crypto, like I found this, it looked like a crypto punk, but it was a corn cob because I, I only eat plants and I'm like interested in permaculture and, and that kind of stuff. So I was like, this kind of fits my personality. And so this guy, Ethanizer Scrooge, I don't know if you know him on Twitter. Oh yeah. He told me, he was like, man, why do you have ongoing study? Like you should be Coco the corn cob, dude. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. Yeah, you're right. I should. So I changed it. I love it. I love that it's stuck too. Yeah. Well, yeah. thank you so much, Coco, for being on another uh, episode with me. Thank you for sharing your story. I, you do a lot, and I want everyone to like recognize and appreciate your work and follow you, and also be ready for the next single that's coming out. Hopefully, soon later. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, I've got the music written for the song. It's just a matter of like getting it recorded and and, um, getting the art done for it. But got to do it by January. (laughs) Otherwise, it's going to be April. (laughs) We're ready for it. We're ready for it. And take your time, of course. Remember, take care of yourself. And thank you for everything you do. Yeah, thank you so much.